The following podcast is sponsored by the new Hood College Gear Shop. The Gear Shop replaces the old Hood College bookstore. Most of us remember the bookstore as just the place where we bought or rented books. Well, that's not the case anymore. The Hood College Gear Shop is a great place to buy all kinds of things. Need some Hood branded merch? You'll find hoodies and t-shirts, hats and scarves, sweats and socks, mugs and cups. They even have Hood branded blankets. Low on shampoo or soap? They have you covered. Bad breath before class? Buy some gum or Tic Tacs. Need a pen highlighter or notebook? The gear shop has tons. Does your roommate have a dog? Buy them a Hood College leash or collar. Need some Advil or Tums? The gear shop has your back. Need a last minute birthday gift for your best friend? You'll find plenty of options. What I'm saying is, the Hood College gear shop has you covered for all your gift, school, snack, and blazer branded clothing needs. So, the next time you're in WIT, stop in and browse around. Mention my name, Dorian Young, and the name of this podcast, and that's the T Surreal, and receive 10% off your purchase of any Hood-branded merch. But listen to the show first. everyone welcome to the and that's the tea surreal podcast i'm your host dorian rosemarin and today i'll be talking about upcoming book releases for the rest of the year and into 2024 so without further ado welcome to the show already this year we've had some great books come out such as lee bardugo's hellbent which is the sequel to her ninth house series But today, I would like to talk about the top few books that are coming out over the rest of the year and into next January, and just give a little description, talk about why I'm excited for these books, and why I think that all of you out there should read not only these books, but similar ones or books by the same authors. So, without further ado, let's get into it. The first upcoming book release that I'm probably the most excited about is A Crown of Ivy and Glass, which is book one in the Middle Mist trilogy by Claire Legrand. And this book is being released on May 9th of this year. And the reason I'm so excited for it is because it's by one of my all-time favorite authors, Claire Legrand, as I said. And I read her first trilogy, Furyborn, which is part of the Imperium trilogy. I think it was at least freshman year of college, maybe a little bit before, but it was probably three or four or maybe even five or six years ago, but I absolutely fell in love with those books and that story. I really loved the characters, and Claire Legrand just has a way of writing that it's like a mashup of all my favorite fantasy authors, which is what I love, but it also has its own unique writing style. Very clear and cut and crisp, just to the point, but also she approaches things in a very artistic way as well, which kind of 
drapes all of her books in this crystallized sort of veil or just very faint light, if that makes any sense. It's all very straightforward, but also beautiful at the same time, which is what I really like. Now, this book in particular is her adult debut, which is really exciting because Furyborn was considered, I believe, young adult slash new adult, and there were definitely some adult parts to it, but I'm excited that she has really reached out and branched into this adult fantasy genre. And the synopsis says that it's a steamy fantasy romance series starter that's perfect for fans of Bridgerton and A Court of Thorns and Roses. And Bridgerton is probably one of my favorite quote-unquote historical fiction series. It's definitely not historical, but that's okay. And obviously, A Court of Thorns and Roses is one of my all-time favorite series by one of my all-time favorite authors. So it's really nice that it combines two things that I love and is written by an author who I really look up to. Let me finally tell you what this book is going to be about. (laughs) From Amazon, Lady Gemma Ashbourne seemingly has it all. She's young, gorgeous, and rich. Her family was anointed by the gods, blessed with incredible abilities, but underneath her glittering facade, Gemma is deeply sad. Years ago, her sister Mara was taken to the Middle Mist to guard against treacherous magic. Her mother abandoned the family. Her father and eldest sister, Farron, embroiled in a deadly blood feud with the mysterious Basque family, often forget Gemma exists. Worst of all, Gemma is the only Ashborn to possess no magic. Instead, her body fights it like poison. Constantly ill, aching with loneliness, Gemma craves love and yearns to belong. Then she meets the devastatingly handsome Talon de Astier. His family destroyed themselves, seduced by a demon, and Talon, the only survivor, is determined to redeem their honor. Intrigued and enchanted, Gemma proposes a bargain. She'll help Talon navigate high society if he helps her destroy the Basques. According to popular legend, a demon called the Man with the Three-Eyed Crown is behind the family's blood feud. Slay the demon, end the feud. But attacks on Middle Mist are increasing. The plot against the Basques quickly spirals out of control, and something immense and terrifying is awakening in Gemma, drawing her inexorably toward Talon and an all-consuming passion that could destroy her or show her the true strength of her power at last. Well, that's a whirlwind. That's a lot to wrap my head around, but... It sounds very intriguing, and it seems to approach this trope of magic in a new way that maybe we've seen before in the past, but also with a little bit of newness inscribed in there. I'm really excited about this. I think this might be one of my top books of the year from what it sounds. So yeah, definitely top tier, definitely going on to pre-order right now. (laughs) Now, the second book that I'm really, really excited about being released is titled The Battle of Malden Together with the Homecoming of Bjorthmith. And this is actually by J.R.R. Tolkien. And I know what you're thinking. J.R.R. Tolkien is dead. But the Tolkien estate is still adapting his works and still publishing his unfinished works, which personally, I know some people don't really like that idea and the fact that You know, the Tolkien estate still seems to be making money off of J.R.R. Tolkien after he's been deceased, but I think it's really nice that even though he's gone, we're still able to feel like he's with us and still feel like he's writing, and we get these very rare, 
publications and exposure to works of his that have never been seen before. So I think it's really nice. I can understand why people wouldn't want to support that or don't feel the same way, but I'm really excited about it. So this particular title is being released on June 6th of 2023, and I think it's perfect that a lot of the books I'm talking about today are coming out during the summertime because I definitely get the majority of my reading done in the summer, so that's really nice. I'm definitely going to be keeping up with these titles. But basically, the Battle of Malden is not based in Middle Earth, which most of his works are. So while I'm a little disappointed about that because I really like Middle Earth, I'm still really interested in reading what other stuff Tolkien was interested in and took an approach to. So that's really exciting for me. The synopsis describes this book as the first ever standalone edition of one of J.R.R. Tolkien's most important poetic dramas that explores timely themes such as the nature of heroism and chivalry during war, featuring previously unpublished and never-before-seen texts and drafts. In 91 AD, Vikings attacked an Anglo-Saxon defense force led by their duke, Bjornoth, resulting in brutal fighting along the banks of the river Blackwater near Malden and Essex. The attack is widely considered one of the defining conflicts of 10th century England due to it being immortalized in the poem The Battle of Malden. Written shortly after the battle, the poem now survives only as a 325-line fragment, but its value to today is incalculable, not just as a heroic tale, but in vividly expressing the lost language of our ancestors and celebrating ideals of loyalty and friendship. J.R.R. Tolkien considered the Battle of Malden the last surviving fragment of ancient English heroic minstrelies. It would inspire him to compose, during the 1930s, his own dramatic first dialogue, which imagines the aftermath of the great battle when two of Bjornoth's retainers come to retrieve their duke's body. Okay, so this kind of sounds similar to a lot of what scholars talk about Tolkien did with Beowulf. So I have not read Tolkien's adaptation of the epic Beowulf, but I think that'd be something I would be interested in trying to tackle before reading this because I think it would kind of prepare me for what to expect from this book and give me an idea of how Tolkien kind of approaches these old English texts and adapts them or expands on them in a way to help the reader understand what's going on. So, I don't know. I think it could be an interesting book. Probably not one of my favorites because this just doesn't really sound like a topic or a subject that would particularly interest me. But it is Tolkien and I really do love his writing and his work. So, I think I would probably consider giving it a try. I mean, I probably will give it a try just because it is Tolkien. But, I don't know. If I decide not to, it's only because... I'm not sure that this is something I would be 100% interested in. So moving on to the third book that I'm excited about. This one is from the New York Times bestselling young adult author who wrote the These Violent Delights duology, which is a retelling of Romeo and Juliet in 1920s Shanghai with a little bit of a fantastical twist on it. I really enjoyed Chloe Gong's debut duology in young adult fiction, so I think I'm really going to enjoy her next book, Immortal Longings, which is coming out on July 18th of 2023. This also is going to be her adult fantasy debut, so that's exciting to see a lot of the authors who I grew up reading their young adult work moving into the adult genre 
because I myself am kind of working my way, you know, into that age bracket and kind of finding my way as an adult. So it's kind of nice to grow with the authors that I've been reading for the past several years, in a sense. I really enjoy that. But this fantasy debut is inspired by Shakespeare's Antony and Cleopatra and is described as a fiery collision of power plays, spilled blood, and romance amidst a set of deadly games. Oh, okay. Okay. I could get with this. I am all for power plays and also deadly games. It's kind of giving Six of Crows vibes in a sense, but also in a way that I think Chloe Gong will approach this very uniquely as she did with These Violent Delights. I remember when I read her first book, I was thinking to myself how much she sounded like a poet. I think her books reflect a lot of prose poetry elements. So I wonder if she did study poetry or if she considered herself to be a poet before working her way into young adult and new adult fiction. Or, I'm sorry, young adult and adult fiction. But her writing style is so unique. It's like nothing I think I've ever read before, to be honest, and I think that's really refreshing. I personally have never read or seen Antony and Cleopatra by Shakespeare, but I know a lot of people who that's their favorite of Shakespeare's plays, so I'm excited to kind of see how she takes that and applies it to her new book, and also maybe I'll take the time to actually read or watch a version of it before her book comes out in the summer again. So the synopsis reads, every year thousands in the kingdom of Talon will flock to its capital, Twin Cities, San Air, where the palace hosts a set of games. For those confident enough in their ability to jump between bodies, competitors across San Air fight to the death to win unimaginable riches. Oh my god, I'm going to butcher these names, so I am so sorry in advance. Princess Kala Tulalemi lurks in hiding. Five years ago, a massacre killed her parents and left the palace of Ur empty, and she was the only one- Oh my god, wait, (laughs) she was the one who did it! (gasps) Oh my god, we're already getting spilled blood and deadly games. Oh, wow, okay. Before King Casa's forces and San can catch her, she plans to finish the job and bring down the monarchy. Her reclusive uncle always greets the victor of the games, so if she wins, she gets her opportunity at last to kill him. Enter Anton Makusa, an exiled aristocrat. His childhood love has lain in a coma since they were both out from the palace and he's in deep depth trying to keep her alive. Thankfully, he's one of the best jumpers in the kingdom, flitting from body to body at will. His last chance at saving her is entering the games and winning. Kala finds both an unexpected alliance with Anton and help from King Kasa's adopted son, August, who wants to mend Talon's ills. But the three of them have very different goals, even as Kala and Anton's partnership spirals into something all-consuming. Before the games close, Kala must decide what she's playing for, her lover or her kingdom. Wow, okay, this sounds really interesting. I'm excited about the world building. It sounds like a very different sort of fantastical fantasy world. Wow, and oh my god, I was not expecting her to be a murderer. Wow. Okay, so right off the bat, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going in deep, y'all. 
I think this is really close up there with the Claire Legrand book as being one of my most anticipated reads for the rest of the year. I mean, it was one of my most anticipated reads of the year to begin with in January, but now that I know more about it, I'm really, really excited. And it's Chloe Gong, so, you know, that just makes it even more exciting. This next book that I'm going to talk about, I'm also really excited for because it is written by an author who I followed since about middle school and who I grew up reading and I loved all of her books. I kind of fell off of her writing just because she was solely focused on and solely writing about one singular fantasy world and I just eventually fell behind and couldn't keep up anymore with all the books that were coming out. But it's Cassandra Clare and she wrote The Moral Instruments, The Infernal Devices, The Dark Artifices, and I think it's just called The Chain of Gold series, but those are most of, if not all, Oh no, because there's the Red Scrolls of Magic too. Okay, so th those are maybe half of the series that she's written based in the Shadowhunters world or the Shadow world that she created. And those are all urban fantasy. I really do love those books, especially The Moral Instruments, The Infernal Devices, and The Dark Artifices. I just grew up with them and they carried me through a span of probably 10 years of my life from middle school to high school into college. So those hold a really, really special place in my heart. And even though I did fall off from reading her books, I think I'll go back and even if I don't reread all of them, I think I'll finish reading the series that she has completed based in the shadow world because... I just love that world so much and it's just such a cool world to be in and to read about and I've always thought that so I think I might go back into her shadow world eventually but this book coming out on October 10th of 2023 is called Sword Catcher and it is stated as being is it her adult debut I don't know I think she has I don't think it's her adult debut because I think she kind of already moved into that genre with some of her Shadowhunter books, but if I'm wrong, it could be her adult debut. But the synopsis reads, In the vibrant city-state of Castellane, the richest of nobles and the most debauched of criminals have one thing in common, the constant search for wealth, power, and the next hedonistic thrill. Kel is an orphan stolen from the life he knew to become the sword catcher, the body double of a royal heir, Prince Connor of Aurelian. He has been raised alongside the prince, trained in every aspect of combat and statecraft. He and Connor are closest brothers, but Kel knows he has one destiny, to die for Connor. No other future is possible. Lancaster is one of the Ashkar, a small community who still possess magical abilities. By law, they must live behind walls in the city, but Lynn, a physician, ventures out to tend to the sick and dying of Castellane. Despite her skills, she cannot heal her best friend, Miriam, without access to forbidden knowledge. After a failed assassination attempt brings Lynn and Kel together, they are drawn into the web of mysterious ragpicker king, the criminal ruler of Castellane's underworld. He offers them each what they want most, but as they descend into his world of intrigue and shadow, they discover a conspiracy of corruption that reaches from the darkest gutters of Castellane to the highest tower of its palaces. As long-kept secrets begin to unravel, they must ask themselves, is knowledge worth the price of betrayal? Can forbidden love bring down a kingdom? And will Lynn and Kel's discoveries plunge their nation into war and the world into chaos? Okay, a lot of these books are giving me 
Six of Crows and Shadow and Bone slash Rule of Wolves vibes by Lee Bardugo. And I don't know how I feel about it. Like, it's exciting to me that people are kind of branching into the underworld, kind of like gang and fantastical, gritty world. But also, I think Lee Bardugo already did it in a way that's really unique and stands out in the fantasy genre. So I don't really know how to feel about it exactly. I'm excited because on the one hand, this book is by one of my favorite pastime authors and it could be a way for me to sort of reconnect with her and get back into her writing. But at the same time, it kind of reminds me a lot of other books that we've already read. And of course, at this point in time, there really is no original ideas anymore. Everything's kind of based off of something and everything's influenced by something. So it's really hard in this day and age to come up with a fresh, new, never-before-seen idea, especially in the fantasy genre. So I don't really know exactly how to feel about this. I'm still going to give it a try and see how I like it, but I really think it could either go one of two ways. I'm either really gonna like this book and be glad I picked it up and I'm getting back into Cassandra Clare's worlds and writing, or I'm just gonna be like, okay, we've been here, done that, seen this before, and I don't want anything to do with it. So we'll see what happens, but I have high hopes. It's Cassandra Clare for God's sake, so hopefully she can pull it off. All right, we are at the last of my most anticipated reads that are coming up. Woo! Also, it's kind of sad because this might be my last episode of this podcast, at least for a little while. So I guess this can be considered a mini-series, but um, yeah, let's get into the last one. And obviously, I saved what some people will consider the best for last. That doesn't mean I consider it the best for last, but we have House of Flame and Shadow by Sarah J. Moss being released January 30th of 2024. So we are moving into next year at this point, and I know that's a long way off, and it seems like it's forever from now. But before we know it, it's going to be next January, it'll be 2024, and this book will be coming out, and we'll have thought that it was so far from today, but yet here we are. So House of Flame and Shadow is the third book in Sarah J Maas's Crescent City series, and I read the first Crescent City when it came out, and I was really excited about it because that was technically... Sarah J Moss's adult fantasy debut, but I'm going to be completely honest here. I was not a fan at all, really. I just think that the book still needed time to be fleshed out and edited. It felt like there was a lot of fluff and information dumping and not enough thought put into the plot and even the characters, to be honest. So it really fell flat for me, which was really sad because I love A Court of Thorns and Roses and I haven't read Throne of Glass yet, but I'm really excited to read that series as well because I've heard such good things. So the bar was set really high for this one and I just think it fell way too short, unfortunately. So I came away from that first Crescent City book extremely disappointed, unfortunately, and it just kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. So while I finished House of Earth and Blood, 
I never did move on to House of Sky and Breath, unfortunately, but now that I've kind of let it simmer for a little bit and I've heard other people talk about it, I think I will give the series another shot. And unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, it sounds like you have to read Crescent City in order to understand whatever happens next in the A Court of Thorns and Roses and or the Throne of Glass series. So it kind of is giving Marvel in the sense where you, oh, well, you have to read everything to understand what's going on in the other works, but I don't know. I'm hoping when I go back to reread House of Earth and Blood and then move on to the second one, I'll have a new perspective and I'll enjoy it a lot more, but we'll see. I don't know. I, it really could go the same way as before. We'll see what happens. Moving on, House of Flame and Shadow is the stunning third book in the sexy, action-packed Crescent City series following the global bestsellers House of Earth and Blood and House of Sky and Breath. Bryce Quinlan never expected to see a world other than Midgard, but now that she has, all she wants is to get back. Everything she loves is in Midgard. Her family, her friends, her mate... Stranded in a strange new world, she's going to need all her wits about her to get home again. And that's no easy feat when she has no idea who to trust. Hunt Athalar has found himself in some deep holes in his life, but this one might be the deepest of all. After a few brief months with everything he ever wanted, he's in Asteri's dungeons again, stripped of his freedom and without a clue as to Bryce's fate. He's desperate to help her, but until he can escape the Asteri's leash, his hands are tied, quite literally. So it does sound really intriguing, and for those of you who haven't read Sarah J. Moss's other works, this is going to be spoilers, so feel free to tune out now, but basically what we have discerned as readers is that all three of Sarah J. Moss's series are connected, and there's a theory that Throne of Glass is the past, Akatar or A Court of Thorns and Roses is the present, and Crescent City is the future of the same world. So I have been spoiled for the second Crescent City, so I'll just talk about it here, but the theory is that at the end of Crescent City 2, Bryce somehow travels back in time and ends up in the Accord of Thorns and Roses time period slash universe. So everybody thinks that's where she is, and you know, I think that's really cool and exciting and definitely a potential possibility because literally all three of these series have the same types of people in them. They have humans, they have fae, they have immortal beings with these special powers, and there seems to be some crossover here and there with names of things and some information and world building that has been dropped in other books. So it's potentially completely probably possible that all of these books are connected, which I think is really cool and is very, very interesting for fantasy and especially for young adult slash new adult fantasy. So I don't know. I have mixed feelings about the Crescent City series as a whole, but I think because I love Sarah J. Moss so much and her writing and her other books, I probably will end up reading the series as a whole at some point. I definitely will have to read it before the next A Court of Thorns and Roses book comes out, whenever that may be. Please, Sarah J. Moss, hurry up on that. But, you know, I don't know. Could be fun to go back and give it another go. But yeah, it sounds like upcoming in the next you know, nine months, 
there will be a lot of new books coming out and that's really exciting for me because I feel like the publishing industry has been a little stagnant recently, at least for me and for what I like to read. So it's nice to see that there are going to be some new books coming out that I can get into instead of my original plan this summer was to reread a bunch of old ones. So I'm glad I won't have to do that really. But yeah, I'm really excited, you know, going into it, clean slate, just excited for new books and for my favorite authors all releasing books within the span of like a year together. So that's great. But yeah, well, I hope that some of these books inspired you all to either reread some of your old favorites or try something new or even give one of these that I talked about in this episode a go. But yeah, I just want to encourage everybody listening to, you know, pick up a book, go outside, touch some grass, you know, escape for a little bit. Escapism is key and just have a good time reading. Life is too short to not do what you love and try new things and read new books. So please go forth and spend your money on books instead of other things like coffee and tea and that sort of thing. I will condone putting your caffeine addiction aside for some serotonin and maladaptive daydreaming and escapism. Thanks everyone for listening to the And That's the Tea Serial podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Doreen Rosemarin, and potentially maybe tune in next time for your next pot of tea and all the bookish goodness.